Welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. I'm Ashley Betteridge. In this episode, we bring you the keynote address from the 2014 PNG update by the Papua New Guinean Treasurer, the Honourable Patrick Pruitish. Its priorities 
and the government's fiscal capacity and ability to deliver adequate education and health services. Rather than dwell on generalities, I would like to turn to our country's economic outlook. 2014 has represented the country's 15th successive year of economic growth. This is the first time we enjoyed with sustained growth. Since independence, one or two years has always followed by negative periods, particularly after the early 1990s. This year, the GDP growth of our country will be around 5 to 6 percent as anticipated. This continues the trend of relatively strong growth that has been experienced since 2005. With the completion of the 19 billion uh, US dollar uh, PNG energy project and the commencement of energy exports, Treasury is forecasting that GDP next year will peak at around 21% growth rate before tapering off to just over 3% annually under current projections. As growth began to slow down with energy constructions, activity tapering off, the national government adopted a strategy of implementing deficit budgets to stimulate growth. The results show, the results show this policy has been reasonably, reasonably successful. Under ongoing plans, under ongoing plans, deficit budgets are targeted to continue until 2017 before significant tax revenues from the energy project starts to kick in. Since becoming treasurer three months ago, I have initiated an intensive look at the 2014 budget. An independent study undertaken by the global consulting firm KPMG will attempt to ascertain if implementation of the 2014 budget is in line with the national government policies. Its successes and shortcomings and whether our fiscal strategies can be better geared towards progressing our social economic development goals. There will be close scrutiny of some issues that have been of apparent public concern in recent times, including public sector debt levels and the implication on the 2015 and succeeding budgets. We need to know how effective, effectively our government expenditures are meeting our free education, our free primary health, and other policy targets. That question also arises as to whether infrastructure and provincial and district level expenditures are being properly implemented. If there are major lags effects, this may give this government the opportunity to balance its budget sooner than has been envisaged, because much of its much of its previously allocated expenditure may be used in subsequent years. To summarize, our economic outlook is rather strong, although there is a clear need to capitalize on opportunities much more effectively. The government would not like to lose the momentum that has been gained to ensure that growth is much more vibrant in 2016 and beyond. The greatest trend would be presented by low commodity prices that adversely affect the mining and agriculture sector and would ultimately impact on the foreign direct investments. We need to overcome these contingencies through better planning and implementation strategies. I'd like to turn now to the subject of strategies to convert the resource boom to development. 
Hence, our word of cushion. We need to be appreciative of lessons from the past and to bear in mind the difficulties of seeing development occurring, occurring at grassroots level. We have been told many times that the 1990s was a lost decade. Yet that was a time we should have had. But yet that was a time we should have been making steadily headways on most development agendas has been the case during much of the past decade. It is sobering to recall that the first interna international monetary fund standby arrangement and World Bank structural adjustment program occurred in 1990. The 1994 balance of payment crisis led directly to the second structural adjustment program after changes to the organic law and provincial and local level governments saw a blowout in government expenditures. The third IMF and World Bank intervention were approved by June 2000. Unfortunately, the structural reform programs achieved little because they were fully framed and implemented. An unsustainable election budget in 2002 created havoc with public finances. The incoming Somali government in 2002 faced up to these challenges by placing on hold the previous government's privatization policy, even though some of the key state-owned enterprises such as PNG Power have been declared insolvent. The Prime Minister Dan Michael made renewed efforts to attract foreign uh, capital, particularly into the long-suffering resource sector, along with tough budgetary controls, brought quick results. Private sector debt to GDP ratios, which has reached unsustainable level in excess of 80% in 2001 and 2002 were quickly brought under control with significant gains in 2003 caused by a rapid strengthening of, the, of our Kina from record lows the previous year. The 1990s should have been similar to the period that we have been through since construction began in 2010 with the PNB LNG project. This was when Kutubu began oil production at levels not since the past, Hogera hit newspaper headlines as a million arms high-grade gold producer and leading comments gold production. The 1990s saw that anticipated gains from resource booms cannot be taken for granted. We certainly have benefited much from the BNB LNG project, as evidenced by the surge in construction activities around the country. Nevertheless, we should not forget that until LNG exports began last month, 70% of the 19 billion US dollar that was spent represented money that has been borrowed and which will be repaid with interest. The remaining 30% represents equity payments by the project partners, including our government. The real benefits from the LNG project are only now starting to flow. As Fesky has forecasted, it will be some years before the full benefits will be covered, particularly through payments of company tax and in good years the additional property tax. In the early days, it is the resource owners that will benefit the most from hundreds of millions of kina that will be paid in royalties and the government levy to some 70,000 landowners, five provincial governments and ten local level governments. If these financial flows are well utilized, our social indicate, indicators should improve rapidly 
even before the national government is fully empowered to hire company tax. The government tax state is anticipated to be larger than the returns to any of the equity partners in the venture, even after leaving aside the dividend flows from the government's 19.6% direct equity. It should be clear to all of you, I hope, that the government has already begun the process of converting the resource boom, which started with high commodity prices in 2005, to phase our development priorities. Some of this can be seen by the pressures faced by schools throughout the country having to cope with record numbers of students. In the 2013 and 2014 budgets, the government blocked its total expenditure with borrowing of over 5 billion kina to enable it to provide free education, health, improve infrastructure, and regional expenditures. This was done with a measure of confidence because of the growing revenue base of the state and the determination to be built for the future. On another front, our Prime Minister, the Honorable Peter O'Neill, has taken several initiatives that will see large numbers of people receive reliable electricity supplies for the first time ever. ExxonMobil and OSS have been tasked to improve the power generating capacity in Port Mosby and in the Southern Highlands Hello region, where power can be supplied by the Highlands grid to coastal cities such as Leigh and Medan. The development agenda has been clearly outlined in the past two budgets of the O'Neill Beyond government. As I mentioned earlier, I will soon have in hand a very detailed analysis of the 2014 budget to ensure an even better targeted budget is brought down this November to continue the path of the dynamic pro progress that has been initiated. This brings me to a third issue I wish to address, and that is the need to deal with social issues in a booming economy. One of the features of our resource development is the fact that mines and petroleum projects do not employ large number of people. Large mining company, companies or projects that may cost more than three billion to build may directly employ around 3,000 people. Nevertheless, these projects do create many spin-off opportunities. Lenora companies set up to support mining companies have become big businesses in their own right. Some such as Atitua in Lihil and the IPI group at Pogera now directly employ three to 4,000 people each and have investments not only in Papua New Guinea, but in neighboring countries like Australia and elsewhere. Inevitably, one of the big social impacts that have to be dealt with is the tendency for a resource-rich economy to generate small numbers of very high-paying jobs with minimal impact on the rest of the community. This is a huge challenge for our government. Essentially, the onus falls back on all levels of government to properly utilize the tax tax revenue generated by resource ventures to lift living standards throughout the community. We know we know we have been failing in this regard in the past and can do much better in future. As the resources boom gathers momentum with strong revenue flows from the LNG project, the risks associated with the so-called Dutch disease need to also be addressed. 
Yakina has recently been under pressure because of the effects of low mineral and agricultural commodity prices. But as the export revenues from LNG generate stronger trade balances, this is expected to lead to a strengthening of Akina and the resulting of Dutch disease. Essentially, what happens when Akina gets stronger is that many sectors of the economy and agriculture in particular finds it difficult to remain competitive in world markets. Cheaper imports can also take the toll on locally produced goods and services. Our coffee growers and cocoa producers will receive less dinner for their export, and the only way this can be offset is to increase productivity. This leads to a need for government to continue to facilitate broad economic development, even in the face of a strengthening of China. The agriculture sector is in need of much greater investment to ensure that productivity gains can be sustained. The emergencies of weather, natural resources, and problems such as Port Bora have, have made agriculture development extremely challenging, and the production data clearly shows that. According to the 2014 budget documents, corporate production this year at an estimated 15,200 tons will be less than half of the actual output in 2004. Similarly, output for coffee and cocoa is forecast to be significantly lower as well. In fact, the projection suggests that cocoa output will only exceed the 2004 level in 2017 and coffee in 2018, while copra will still be 20% lower in 2018. That is a dismal situation that, is, that this nation can ill afford. Much has been done to promote development of the fisheries sector, particularly through establishment of canneries and processing plants. The world's tuna industry is highly competitive and PNB is attempting to leverage domestic, domestic fishing licenses with requirements for downstream processing. This is a sector that can generate a significant number of jobs, but it is currently hampered by inability to compete globally with other low-cost uh, producers such as Thailand. The government has recognized the enormous potential presented by tourism. At the moment, PNG is highly regarded for its tourist activities such as the scuba diving activities in resorts such as Tawali, Walendi, Kimbi, Madang, and our immense cultural and eco-tourism uh, tourism potential. The 2014 budget has provided 20 million China to make Kokopor the country's primary tourism destination. The funding will be used to improve water, sewage, and sanitation services and to create a more welcoming environment for tourists. As OSIS perception of PNG's law and order situation improves and tourism infrastructure is better developed, tourism is anticipated to enjoy steady growth. The hosting of the 2015 South Pacific Games and the 2018 Epic Summit is certain to provide a stimulus to this sector. This is budget also provides 777.9 million for the economic sector, particularly agricultural development, representing an increase of almost 50% from the previous year. This includes 118.9 million from donor grants and loans. Some 313 million Kina have been allocated to development 
of small to medium-sized enterprises or SMEs. The record levels of spending on agriculture reflect the high priority the government has placed on rural development. A total of 85 million kina will be directed to the National Development Bank to provide loans to local SMEs, and an additional 50 million kina has been allocated for the special economic zone corridor development initiative, providing basic infrastructure such as power lines, roads, and walks to encourage investment in export-oriented agricultural processing and manufacturing. Another innovation in 2014 budget involves the setting aside of the 40 million kina for an agricultural commercialization equity fund, made up of two components. The first will provide subsidies for up to 10 million kina to landowners to meet registration costs for land commercialization plans. The second component allows for the total development groups to seek out investors interested in developing coffee, cocoa, oil palm, rice, rubber, and livestock. I think most of us will agree that one of the biggest challenges facing us today is to ensure that allocated funds are fully utilized for the purposes determined by government. And to some extent, I hope that the ongoing KPMG review will help us better target such spending. Secondly, I believe we have a challenge on our hands to ensure that agricultural production and productivity continues to show improvements to provide real benefits for the bulk of our population. Thirdly, in the post of 2015 period, we need to ensure that Papua New Guinea's economic growth continues to be sustained at levels of 5% or more annually to ensure that the benefits can be better spread throughout our country. Ladies and gentlemen, because of rapid economic uh, growth rates, job in our formal sector nationwide grew by 75% between 2002 and 2013. We need to maintain that pace for formal sector growth if we are to generate the kind of jobs many of you in the audience will be sitting in the years ahead. I am sure many of you may be surprised to know that partly because of its resource endowment, the formal sector more than doubled in size in that period in the Morobe region. A strongly growing formal sector will be a clear indicator of the broadening economic base of this country and of the rising levels of prosperity. I thank you all for listening and I'm looking forward to being brief for the much considering the outcome of this hearing. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.